Hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Politics Now series and was recorded on February 6, 2020 at Le space in downtown Tunis. In this episode, Tarek Kahlawi, Assistant Professor of History at the Mediterranean School of Business, talks about anti-elitism in Tunisia, condition of political success. This podcast is part of the roundtable organized by CMAT on Populism, Politics and Popularity, Reflections on the Politics of Today. This is wonderful, actually. We started thinking about this at some time. And, uh, and uh, thank you for CMAT for, uh, for doing this. And it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a subject and topic that needs a lot of work, especially that we have the material in, uh, in Tunisia, in terms of what's happening in Tunisia. And I think it's unique. And it's different in many ways than what's happening in other, uh, in other experiences. Um, there are just uh, three major questions I'm going to just throw out, and then I'm going to go for a narrative um, uh, of what I think happened in the last year and a half. Um, and within that, I'm going to try to provide my um, understanding of what we can call our populism here um, in Tunisia. So the first thing is that um, the idea of a specific form of populism in a post-revolutionary context, as is the Tunisian context. So that's, that's, uh, that's a first, um, the first point that I think we should work on and explore. Um, secondly, that an umbrella definition of all forms of what, the, what we think is Tunisian populism might be misleading and might be covering up uh, nuances and hierarchies uh, within this phenomenon. <coughs> Point three, the idea of evil is populism, at least as we see it here, is it necessarily evil? Or is it pushing us to think out of the box, out of the boundaries, that there is a real malaise of a representative democracy? And that that in itself is something to seriously take into account, and that's something that we think, uh, we should think, that it might actually be beneficial for the building up of our, uh, of our democracy. So these are the three, three major ideas that uh, I am working on. Um, and I started working on this um, effectively in, uh, in May uh, 2019. And that after what um, I call the early call. In, uh, by the end of 2018, I got a call from one of my friends who's uh, one of those who work on polls here, one of the main institutions of polling in, uh, in Tunisia. And he was surprised. He actually told me that was in December 2018, and he was uh, actually, he told me uh, his first. So I asked, who's first? 
uh, and he said, Qais Saeed. Qais Saeed is first. And I can't believe my eyes. And then, a month later, another call. And he said, well, we have uh, the two forerunners and uh, they are twins. And it remained so for months. I'm bringing this up because when Qais Saeed Nabil Qarwi came up in the polls, and they come, came up pretty early, there was a denial in the political elite. I don't know, I know that's, that for fact uh, because I, I have so many friends in the political elite. I consider myself a member of the political elite. So many were in denial. If they refused to believe that Qais uh, Saeed and Nabil Qarwi were the forerunners, they resisted the idea, and we had to wait until June, July 2019 so that they would take that seriously. And thus they started working on the electoral law, uh, the amended electoral law that would actually put some restrictions at least on some of the on, on some of the forerunners. I said the polls were mostly right, except maybe for one case, which is Aish Tunsi. Um, but except for that, they were right. And until the last, um, the last hours, we were witnessing uh, a race until the last moment between Nabil Qarwi and Saeed. Nabil Qarwi was a little bit ahead, but um, Qais Saeed was able by the end to win over the first round. And that first round, the results of the first round were the big call and everyone were, was like, wow. And uh, I remember when I sent a piece to, uh, um, uh, to Monkey's Cage about this, the editor was telling me, are you sure about this? That was a Saturday just before Sunday. Are you sure we have these two guys as the finalists? Are they gonna win the first round? So there was an awe, not only here, outside, and the denial remained in the political elite, and they would say, as, and they would argue, it remains until now. The denial that we entered into a new political context in Tunisia. The denial started also after the elections with the reading of the elections. One of the things I heard is that the results of the elections were the victory was the victory of the forces of revolution. Some would consider Nahda itself as part of these forces of revolution. I don't, but uh, that's the reading. The reading is that we have a remake of the 2011, that is a comeback at 2014, at Nidei Tunis and the old regime win in 2014. And that narrative was the locomotive, was the main push for the whole paradigm that framed the first negotiations of the Jimli government, beginning from November, November, November and until uh, recently. And the, the whole paradigm was, well, these uh, the revolutionary uh, forces that won the elections. Well, it was wrong. Uh, the, um, the elections were a mix of things. Uh, the elections were, uh, in my view, um, so first of all, Nahda did not win, as you know. Uh, for the first time, 
since 2011, the first, um, the first party is going to have less than 20% of the votes. Um, what consider themselves as revolutionary forces like Tayar, Shab, even though they were in the opposition, they did not take advantage of the failure of those who were in power, including Tahya Tunis and Nahda. Um, among the winners, we have apologetics for the old regime because I think Abir Musi was among the winners in the 2019 elections. Among the winners is the phenomenon of Nabil Qarwi and Qalb Tunis, a party that was established in a few weeks just before the elections. And um, someone who truly was not anti-elitist, but was very clever and very brilliant in marketing himself as anti-elitist, um, yet with clear links with, uh, with, um, with problems, evading taxes, and, uh, and, uh, and, and with many suspicions around him. So we have a mixture of winners and losers, and I think the key point in the 2019 elections was not the revolution, but was the brand new. Those who were able to establish a contract with the electors that they are new. Populism is not simply a discourse, I think. Populism is a contract between the elected and the electors. It's a mutual understanding between them. You can make a populist discourse all the time in the different forms you want, but does not mean that you're gonna be believed by the electors. That trust between the electors and the elected, those who present themselves as anti-elitist, and I think populism in the Tunisian context is in conformity with uh, Kasmadi's definition, which I think is 2004 definition about the strike con contrast between elitist, the corrupt elitist, and the people, the um, uh, righteous people, is the kind of definition that would help us frame out what's happening here. Um, so what, what, uh, what happened is this mutual understanding. This um, ability to convince wide sections of the people that we are you, you are the people, we are you, and we're gonna have a fight against the corrupt elite. I won't go to the reasons why the post-2011 elite is seen as corrupt, Professor Sarsar mentioned few examples and few reasons for that. But certainly now, the result is, is that, that the post-2011 elite is corrupt, is problematic, cannot deliver all of these things, and that's why we're gonna need the anti-politician. We're gonna need the new anti-politician. Qais Saeed Nabil Qarwi, Ehtilaf al-Karama, succeeded in branding themselves as such. Now, within this umbrella, we have the nuances and we have the hierarchy. It's not enough 
to convince the electors that you are the anti-politician. What's more important, it was proven in the process of the recent months since the summer of 2019, it's essential that you also be Mr. Clean. And the main reason why, why Nabil Qarawi lost the competition, it's because he lost that perception. He was able to brand himself as new, as the people, the poor, as against the corrupt elite, but at the same time, he was unable in the last moments of the process to brand himself as Mr. Clean. As opposed to that, Qais Said was brilliant in whether he intended it or not. And by the way, Qais Said as a political animal, that's a totally different subject that we don't have time for, for it right now. Whether he intends what he's doing or not, in my view, still an ambiguous major issue. But by actions, he was able to establish himself as Mr. Clean, and he actually brought with him even the survival of major political parties. And for instance, in my view, Nahda, according to all the indications, in July, August, early September, was going to be second at most 400,000 votes. And they got more than 500 votes because they actually were surfing on the wave of Qaisai. And they seem to forget that now. So he was able to not only to win, but to bring with him a wave of support that is historic even for the um, very recent and brief history of democracy in Tunisia. Now, not only Mr. Clean, but there is a misunderstanding and um, a misleading self-definition of Qais Said of himself. He and his supporters are insisting that he's winning and he won mainly because of Al-Mashru'a, his project. Al-Sha'bu Yurid, people want. According to all indications, he won the first round, the 600,000 that voted for him, more even those 2,700,000 that voted for him in the second round, they did not vote for Al-Mashru'a. They voted because he's Mr. Clean, and certainly because the other guy was not seen and perceived as Mr. Clean. This mis-self-conception about himself is feeding many of his actions right now. The idea that there is a whole base that is just waiting for the sign of what's going to happen in the future. We have to be clear here. There is no concrete indication that he's working on a political project. There are some people who are trying, but there is no reason to believe that he gave the green light for any effort on the ground. Harak October or Shabu Yurid or all of this that 
is being basically pushed by Aisaid himself. And this is going to lead me to the final point, the aftermath. Because Qais Saeed, and this is one of his main paradoxes, he started as anti-elitist, he started as anti-system, he started as using the system to propagate the al-mashru'ah, the project, but he's now at the top of the system. He's at the top of the elite. And his main dream now, following his actions, not his sayings, is to become the most successful president in the recent years. Just a few indications of that. Who is highly involved behind the scenes in making the Jimli government succeed, to push for a certain coalition around the Jimli, mainly the four parties. And he had to come public about that when he actually received them at some point in December 21st. It was a, a failed meeting, but that was a, a clear indication that he was pushing to have a strong government that is close to him. Because as president, he knows now that he's going to need an executive power extended to Al-Qasba that's going to help him achieve some of the basically smaller dreams, not Al-Mashru'ah, but having, for instance, a major health city in Qairawan. That's among his main dreams now. And choosing Al-Fakhfakh was the most striking example that he wants to succeed as a president. He wants the system to work. The system based on the constitution, he does not like. He wants that system to work. And Qais Saeed, because of that, his killing little by little, his anti-elitism, and he's surviving mainly because of a new dream of becoming the best example of our, uh, of our elite. And I think it's because of that. He's losing steam. He's going to lose popularity as we move forward. And whether Elias Farfekh is going to get the votes or not, in both cases, he's going to suffer from the daily life of executive power and the daily life of executive power since 2011 has shown us that it's not an easy ride. And there are always victims of this process of governing in Tunisia in post-revolutionary times. And I'm going to have to stop there. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the Semat newsletter at www.sematmaghreb.org, or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.